But you don't know me. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. I'm your host, Groot. I'm your co-host, Medusa. And today we have a new guest by the name of Mr. McScience. (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. McScience has quite an interesting background. He's done a lot, especially within the park service and things like that. So tell us how you got into it. Yeah, well... um I guess as a kid, I always went out. I loved being outdoors and always, you know, played around in streams and ended up always being the kid that would like find those like salamanders and uh, frogs Mm -hmm. and stuff and pick them up. And I just developed a love for specifically like stream ecosystems and amphibians as a child. And um, as I went into deciding my major for college I kind of just like randomly picked biology not knowing that I'd go in conservation Um, and but at the time I was working part-time for my father's uh, land surveying company and so I'm from an area around Atlanta that uh, was actually one of the quickest growing areas in the country for a decade and um, when I was a kid you would see tons of you know, beautiful forests with like crystal clear streams flowing through it. And as I was working with my father, I would slowly see for my father's company, I would slowly see like these forests disappearing. Actually, it wasn't really slowly. It was very pretty rapid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds very rapid. And you know, like how I, I grew to love those streams. I would, uh, do these surveys on these streams where I would have to take, uh, I would, basically stand in the middle of the stream holding a survey rod and taking a center line, what they call a center line shot of a stream to determine its location on like a certain property. Um, I would be resurveying these same streams I maybe surveyed a month ago before they cleared the land around it. And now instead of these crystal clear streams, they were marred with like uh, the famous Georgia red clay. They were like covered in silt. Oh. Life was choked out of them. And at that moment, I was like, I remember like a few times I would look down at these streams. I'd be like, I got to try and do something about this yeah, in my life. No like kidding. I wanted, I, it's just like, ins- it's kind of like s- depressing, but also inspiring for me personally. Mm-hmm. And so I like pursued uh, in under, in my undergraduate degree, I like, found a professor that was willing to work with me and I started getting into stream ecology and conservation and I did like a little research project in undergraduate to try and get my feet wet in the whole thing. So this was in the middle of your undergraduate career I guess you just kind of were thinking biology I want to you know look into wildlife organisms like that and then just by chance working with your father you're like wait this is an area I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm, and then yeah. it led to that. Yeah. It's kind of surprising that you were outdoorsy as a kid, given like your early college tendencies. Oh, well, yeah, I still played video games all the time as a kid and through college. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, everyone in college goes through a little, I don't know. I don't know. I went through a little uh, shut in phase. Yes. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> World of Warcraft by chance? Uh, more League of Legends. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Don't, yeah. Even, we were, don't even. I know. For yeah. context, that um, we were roommates for a couple years in college mm-hmm. and that we were fiends. That sounds mm-hmm. trouble. With MOBAs. Oh, it <laughs> absolutely sounds was. Very troublesome. It was troublesome. Um, I was the party queen, effectively. Oh, we hosted a lot of stuff. Hey, we were damn good. And we that, were really good at what we did. In that bronze tier, we were kicking ass. <laughs> oh, I meant at parties we were good oh, at that. We yeah, were well. not good at League of Legends. <laughs> no, we were not good. Um, <laughs> that we even had a Skullgirls launch party, and pretty much nobody there actually cared about Skullgirls. It was incredible. We had theme shots. That was fun. I have no idea what... Oh, it's a fighting game. Okay, got it. Good, okay. <laughs> On board with that. <laughs> okay, so... You kind of discovered this field, and then you were with this professor. What kind of research was the professor doing? Um, we, well, I told him, I was like, I really want to work with amphibians, because I, as a child, like I said, like, you know, I just, I was kind of chasing a, like, a, a dream of mine from childhood to, like, I just wanted to work with these things that I always loved. 
And so I was like, I want to work with amphibians as like a naive, starry-eyed like mm-hmm. undergraduate. <laughs> so he was basically like, well, I know you have an incredible interest in amphibians, but we're going to instead have you crawling on your hands and knees through an invaded field of kudzu on this specific stream that's invaded by kudzu and then you can you can find salamander larvae in that stream but we're also going to focus on macroinvertebrates in this stream which are like small um basically most mostly insects that like uh determine like stream health Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and he's like we're going to be focusing on that side of ecology and i know that you really want to work with amphibians and we'll get to that through this but this is really what matters. And he kind of taught me, like, yeah, you can go in with, like, an expectation of, like, a, and a dream of wanting to work with a certain, like, like species or animal, but really what we're really trying to get down to in conservation biology is what's affecting this planet. And right. kudzu actually... It's horrible. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God, it's <laughs> a nightmare. It's horrible. It's, uh, it chokes out any ecosystem that it invades um invasive spe- species in general um are really uh are are awful and i'll get to that for that's what we did at, at the park service the one that i worked at was studying invasive species as well but left um, to its own devices it will like totally overtake our shit too there yeah. was a house on my old street that was completely enveloped by kudzu for the longest time until somebody else bought it i guess for cheap and then cleaned it all the fuck out yeah and to start this study, actually, this guy was having me find, like, random kudzu plots in Lumpkin County, which... Uh, I'm sure there's numerous. There's tons, but one of them that I specifically remember was on a house that was, like, covered in kudzu, and then there was a stream beside it that was also covered in kudzu. And I, like, walk up to this, I'm like, there's no one living in this house. I'm just gonna, like, walk into the backyard and, like, uh, just check it out. Mm-hmm. And... It's, like, covered in trash. Like, there's no doors on this place. And all of a sudden, I hear this, like, crazy, like, woman inside being like, I'm going to call the police if oh you don't God. get off oh my, my God. property. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. We're trying to help like, you. Yeah. We're trying <laughs> to help. I think well. that's one thing that I really like about biology and similar fields like that are that biology itself is such a wide major that you can't just be like, I'm a biologist. And people are like, I know exactly right. what that is. Mm-hmm. It has so many facets to it. And I can say this as a biology undergrad as well. Like, I went into going into biology thinking, you know, I want to work with a human body. And then like saying that is so broad itself. And then like going through all these years of classes, I was like, wait, no, I want to work with like infectious diseases and epidemiology and all of this. And like, it sounds like you had a very similar experience, like coming to something more broad and really honing in on a very specific topic. Oh, that's so funny because like y'all are technically in the same category. It's just branched so wildly in different directions. We're both biological sciences, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. But I work with humans and, he works with wildlife. Yep. So that's the fun in biology is you can do a ton of stuff with it. It's wanna... called the study yes. mm-hmm. of life. So I was always so jealous yeah, that you uh-huh. got to work with insects so much. Yeah, I loved your Madagascar hissing cockroaches <laughs> when mm. you had those. Did but, you like bring in any weird thing into your guys' apartment? Oh, um actually Morgan did. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was just saying. So the one that's not a biology major <laughs> brought in weird things. Yes. I just like bugs. Yeah. Actually, I, I borrowed one of them for in my entomology class, which is the study of insects. Uh, I brought one for, like, they made us do, like, a show and tell. And uh, it was like, here's a Madagascar hissing cockroach. And we passed it around the class for everyone to touch. One student was terrified of bugs yet taking entomology. And Is that like exposure what? therapy? I guess so. And like this whole class, like the main project in the class was like making like an insect collection. So you had to like capture insects and like pin them and stuff. That sounds and, horrible. Well, it was kind of fun. To that person but, at oh, least. Oh yeah, to, to that, that person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so like the, the professor was like, if you touch this bug, I'll give everyone two extra points on the final. She didn't do it. Everyone hated that Oh person. my God. <laughs> And the, uh, um, yeah. for extra context, those are the bugs that people use in movies all the time because they're just so docile mm. and just they do not care mm-hmm. that um, anytime you'll see like the big bug in a cheap horror movie, usually <laughs> that that's a Madagascar hissing yeah. cockroach. They don't have wings. They're just big, slow, heavily armored herbivores. Um, those fuckers can breed, though. Um, <laughs> I ended up basically supplying that entomology lab with a whole um, 
with a whole colony because they just oh kept going. It's They're, like you're, you know, a Pokemon breeder. A little with bit. Madagascar hissing cockroaches. No checking IVs there. Oh. Just <laughs> mm. bug upon bug. I'm sure there's a couple perfect IVs in there. I'm sure. <laughs> so after working with this professor, you kind of started to figure out really what you wanted to do. So you really focus on conservation and the environment. Where did that lead you? Well, I had already had like a love for like the National Park Service and they're kind of like champions of conservation biology because it's like literally they've set aside tons of lands to restore areas or ensure that areas remain in their natural beauty. Mm. And so uh, my girlfriend, I'll call her Liz a wizard, um, <laughs> uh, had like actually in like the second episode of this podcast, I think the great and powerful uh, spoke about like this road trip that I went on with him and Liz a wizard um, to like as many national parks as we could hit in a month. And I kind of just like fell in love. How many did you see in a month? It was 19 or so. I can barely name like two. Yeah. I would be surprised (laughs) if I could name two. There's like 58. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot. That is more than two. So you got me there. Yeah. Some or a lot of people say it's America's best idea, but, uh, well, maybe not a people right now. Maybe not a lot of people right now would say (laughs) that, but uh, anyway, uh, I don't want to go into that. In case everyone wanted to get stressed out all of a sudden. Sorry. (laughs) Because if we weren't already, um, um, but, uh, and so I fell in love with the park system at that point. And actually, the park I ended up working at, I had never visited before. But when I graduated, I started the application like process. And I applied for over 100 jobs. And like for a while, I didn't get any like calls for interviews. And I just like kept persevering. And eventually, I got a call from um, a park in the Midwest and I went and I got You ended the job up there for a while, too. I was there for, they have, okay, so the park system has uh, seasonal employees. Right. That works for about four months over the summer. And they hire these people every year and um, they give preferences to veterans and all that right. jazz. But I got into the seasonal employee. Um, uh, I was hired as a seasonal employee at this park. Mm-hmm. And so I worked there for four months. Um, what were your specific duties? Uh, <laughs> well, um, I was basically, ga- I was an aquatics biologist, which is mm-hmm. what I want to go into. And I was collecting data for several projects um, that the that the park was carrying on. And I guess I can just go ahead and go into all these projects projects that this might yeah, take a while what, to what, go into that's but. fine what it so what okay. was it like what kind of things did you do what did you see like give us some background on what your experiences were in the park right. uh well i got hired at voyagers national park which is uh an international falls which they claim is the coldest city on in the continental u.s <laughs> i'm not sure if it is or not <laughs> did it live up to his name though were you called yeah it was definitely cold for summer but um I mean, it was actually like perfect weather because it was like 70s all the time. And so it was, and it's like, so Voyagers National Park is a lake system of, there's three large lake bodies, and then there's 26 inner lakes that are smaller that are non accessible wow. by road or anything like that. So you have to hike into the backcountry to reach them. And. It is in the North Woods of the Midwest, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do not know about, but it's like this vast wilderness in the Midwestern United States that um, is still relatively untouched and unfortunately is why so many people are up in arms about the Dakota Access Pipeline and stuff like that. Right. I'm from the Midwest and I had no idea, so I'm very embarrassed for my Midwest <laughs> Heritage, I guess, is the correct Where are you term. from? I'm from Iowa, so... Okay. Yeah, well, Iowa's yeah. Still, all, it's all, still all planes there, right? Yeah, that's true. So, okay. So you were in and out of there within these lakes, and what was a day-to-day job for you, or was it just completely variable? And So they were working on multiple projects, and the main project we did was large lake water quality. And so I was going and collecting water quality samples and um, testing them for multiple parameters like uh, temperature, obviously, 
pH chlorophyll activity, which would be mm-hmm. like the algae that's photosynthesizing in, in the lake waters and stuff like that. That was the main project that they do. Did you find that the macroinvertebrates were still a pretty good litmus test? Um, actually, that's more for streams. Oh. So a uh, lake is more actually uh, plankton, oh. which I'll uh, get to in a minute. Um, so what was the point of monitoring this water? Was it for water quality to ter- determine, you know, if the lake itself or the water itself is you know healthy, if it's changing from day to day or whatever? Yeah, it was to determine if it is healthy um, as well as if it's changing from from day to day. Uh, like, uh, so basically, we put it into this giant database from data that has been collected since the '60s, and we were comparing it um, with each decade to see how much it's changing. And while they weren't pushing it on you, I, in my own time, went and looked at the data myself so you saw you know from an observation point at least that temperatures were changing and you're kind of seeing that within your park system what kind of other things did you see or do within the park okay one of the main studies that we did this year which they don't do this every year is a 26 inner lake study where we were looking at this invasive species called the spiny water flea and Mm -hmm. that is a zooplankton that's um, from Europe and Asia that was that invaded via like cargo ships on the Great Lake system and it's invaded oh my god in- I could, didn't even think about that yeah. uh, for a minute I was wondering how like a smaller invasive species could happen and it's just via travel absolutely yeah. I mean human inter- yeah yeah <laughs> does um does that happen a lot or there are a oh, lot of that so many times yeah oh my god yeah. there's several examples I'm trying to in think fact, of in fact kudzu is one of them kudzu <laughs> is one of them right yeah. um I thought kudzu was like, was it introduced to like combat something or did it just happen? Oh, a little bit of both. It was introduced to combat. um, No, it was introduced to combat erosion, Mm. but it was also the the spores of it also just, they're easily taken from uh, traveling. Oh my God. They they did not think that through very well if they're like, this kudzu, this is going to help us with something. Yeah. And it's actually just a nightmare horror plant. Yeah, and funny enough, they introduced kudzu bugs um, to like eat and control the kudzu. And now there's just another invasive species <laughs> that just like lives on kudzu. And it's just, uh, just as, it's not as uh, detrimental as kudzu, but it didn't help at all. And now there's just kudzu bugs everywhere. So Isn't that why that like, there's an owl species in Hawaii that's just extinct because of cats? I'm not sure about that, but I would not be surprised. Cats are definitely contributing to the death of songbirds, so. Like, I'm pretty sure that um, Decidueye, the Pokemon, it's like, it. I know it is, <laughs> it's based on an extinct owl species. I think I read somewhere that that specific species was just killed off by fucking cats. I would believe it. Or something, I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, invasive species are so common. One of the things that I remember back in the Midwest are, I think they're the zebra mussel. Is that what they are? Yes. They got introduced and they just swarm every single body of water and they look like, they don't look literally like zebras, but they have mm-hmm. a stripe pattern yeah. and they're just everywhere. Yeah. And we did that, so. Yep. It would, they were introduced the same way as Spiny Water Flea. Luckily, they're not in, Nas- in Voy- Voyager's National Park. But uh, basically, the issue with Spiny Water Flea is that it's invading these um, communities and they prey upon other plankton which plankton is kind of like a garbage term for like small organisms living. garbage term <laughs> well, guys. it doesn't mean anything really yeah. except for small organism that lives in water so uh, the spiny water flea is like a crustacean that's like a uh, not microscopic but very tiny mm-hmm. and uh it eats other very tiny organisms and it takes over their community structure and oh my God. we were seeing they're, they're basically displacing almost all z- native zooplankton um, and the problem with these guys is they have a spine that's 70% of their body and when a fish tries to eat this like a small maybe young of your fish which is a just born fish or like maybe like a minnow tries to eat this it protrudes through their guts and oh kills my god them. yes so so these things have <laughs> nailed it like in the evolutionary oh yeah but like 
they don't need to be here because yeah. they'll just fucking win. Yeah, and so there's a lot of research oh going God. into this because they think it's going to plummet. In fact, they've seen it plummet walleye populations, which is a huge game fish in the Midwest, um, and some lakes, and they think it's going to across the entirety of the Midwest, and of course the only reason they're getting money is because game fish right. is something that humans care about. But it's also plummeting populations and other fish species and possibly contributing to like their um we're at the beginning a lot of conservation biologists believe at the sixth massive extinction oh my god yeah it is so crazy just how hard arthropods went at everything yep yeah they're really cool and cute little buggers but (laughs) they don't mess around no just practically unchanged since prehistoric times and like dominating ecosystems yep it's awful yeah it is but um, a lot of people don't really understand the human like implications. Like, who cares if all these species go extinct? But well, I is, like. To, this is your time to tell humans about it. Yes. So why is this so important? I like to use like an example because I love amphibians. So mm-hmm. imagine if all frogs just were gone from the world. What do they eat? They eat insects, which right. are already. Nailing it. Yes. And um, a lot of insects they eat could be mosquitoes. And so if these frogs are gone and they're not controlling mosquito populations, we could have higher densities of mosquito populations and have more vectors for disease. Mosquitoes can be so fatal. Yes. Zika, other things, dengue, lots of things that can kill you. And so a lot of people feel like they live in this bubble, like, oh, who cares about the environment? It'll die off and humans will still exist. Well, we're animals too. And <laughs> a mass extinction, you know, we need to, we can still try and help fight this and we need to stop ignoring it. And we need right. to start. We're definitely not as durable as buggos. No. Absolutely not. I mean, think about all the pandemics we've had. Look what happens when we're not thinking and not focusing on things other than us. We yeah. get annihilated, essentially. Absolutely. That's how rats really fucked us up in the Middle Ages, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Orient- Oriental rat flea was the one that carried the Black Plague, and it just shut everyone down. So that's what happens when we don't care. So yep. Okay, this may be like off-air and it's a tangent. Does the CDC actually use that um, whenever the World of Warcraft thing happened with the plague? They, okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> there was I'm like, going to immediately assume that's a no. Uh, there was like a rumor that whenever... Um, there was like this blood plague that happened in WoW that they actually used that for data for how like humans act during a plague. I'm gonna research this. <laughs> okay. That sounds ridiculous, but okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just dying to know about <laughs> no, this. No, that's fine. I will really cool. It you caught me off guard. I doubt it, but who knows? Okay. You could surprise me. All right. Back to the show. <laughs> So going back into this conservation efforts and not letting species go extinct, I mean, what uh, what came from all of this? What came from your research? What did you find after that? How did that get used? Okay, well, what we found um, in Voyagers is that we studied these 26 inner lakes, and none of them were actually infected by spiny water flea. Um, these inner lakes were only accessible through hiking, um, mm. sometimes without a trail into back country. So... Um, while it's fantastic that they were not transmitted to these lakes, what we're assuming is that the reason they're not is because these are transmitted basically only through motorized boats. Mm, Really? Yes. So, um... So, like, recreational lakes typically mm -hmm. have them? All of the main three bodies uh, that are accessible by motorized boat do have spiny water flea in them and all the great lakes do and most lakes in the midwest do as well so basically only lakes that have not been touched by humans don't have spiny water flea so they just have populations just about everywhere fucking shit up yes that's incredible (laughs) and horrifying yes that's science (laughs) it's also zebra mussels are the same way though as you were saying i didn't study them at voyagers but uh, how do they fuck shit up like because the mussels they're not really predatory are they Am I stupid? No, they're filter feeders. Um, Is it just by like sheer numbers of existing there? Basically, they populate so quickly. Oh my god! Such high abundance. 
and they're displacing like native species. Oh my god! Just by virtue of having yeah. so many goddamn right. muscles, they're a competing yeah. species. So if they're taking, you know, resources from a different species that's mm. been a native there, they're going to completely shut down, and then they right. repopulate more, and then basically you go out in the spot of the water, and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's all that's here because all the other species were displaced. I'm laughing, but that's like really scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. I just cannot cope. What happens if that were to happen to us? What if some invasive species did that to us? Like that's another <laughs> thing. Like thinking from a more personal level, it could happen. A cosmic level. A cosmic <laughs> level. Oh my god, right. we just have like a bunch of fucking aliens that come down and just like you start eating know. all of our food. Hey, the we're better than you. Is, yeah. yeah the universe does They don't care. So yeah. it's like the guys from Aquadine Hunger Force. My dad owns a dealership. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the projects you were talking about. Yeah, and so the, I guess, final project that I ended up being the leader of um, involved cyanotoxins. And um, I would take water samples of these cyanotoxins and prepare them to be sent off to a USGS lab. And they were doing a study to try and see if they could forecast cyanotoxin algal blooms and see how if they could tell when they're going to pop up in like a lake. So what are the effect that cyanotoxins have? So cyanotoxins are incredibly, all right, so they're created by cyanobacteria uh, or blue-green algae, and they mm-hmm. are toxins that are incredibly fatal to... Um, animals and humans, well, humans are animals, but to all sorts of species of animals and potentially fatal to humans, even just swimming in it. Really? Yes, and they're popping up more and more abundant as waters warm. Oh. So this is a... Oh, fuck. So they're basically like uh, poisoning the water supply. Okay, so (laughs) even me, the layman, was able to put this together that rising temperatures in the water may lead to these things thriving. Exactly, yeah. Oh, and um, now swimming we, may not be an activity soon, kids. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is mainly in the Midwest and uh, and the West. I'm not sure if there's many cyanotoxins on the East. I haven't heard about it as a problem here, but it probably could be, I guess, eventually. But we uh, we took this data and sent it to the USGS so that they could um, basically be able to warn people, hey, don't swim here tomorrow oh if my gosh. there's <laughs> an algal bloom or whatever. You'll actually yeah. see signs for it that say, you know, there's a large algal bloom, do not swim because you can actually... This is incredible. I've never thought of something like this. And like, this can kill us. Yep. Especially if you drink it, but even if you swim in it. And um, actually there has been mass die-offs of like waterfowl that are drinking uh, water in infected areas and uh a lot of the like loons are just uh ducks just dying in mass (laughs) because they drink infected waters and yeah i'm sorry this is a very doom and gloom uh i mean (laughs) i mean we need this right now. to be honest that's where we're at right now and that's where we've been coming from for quite a while Mm -hmm. and right now it does not look any better no it does not especially Especially since we have people higher up that are trying to like silence this information for some reason so we'll get to that later (laughs) i think that's important this is a whole can of worms we'll get to that can of worms after we finish (laughs) this little topic but so with the cyanotoxins what came from that well as i was saying it was basically just uh just for what I was doing, it was to be able to see if they can forecast the intensity of cyanotoxin plumes in the area. Mm. Could they? Or, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, they can, they can. Yeah. Um, and they're just trying to refine it, and I'm, and they're going to do this year by year. And I might, I'm not returning this summer because I'm, I've applied to graduate school and I'm trying to go. Yeah. Yay, woo. But get that master's. I'm going to work with my graduate studies to try and do more. Um, studies in Voyagers National Park too, mm-hmm. uh, with cyanotoxin and mm-hmm. actually mercury poisoning, which is a big problem. Dang, that, you've got a lot of things going on. So wait, that's actually a like method that we can all die from, right? Because like, uh, if that starts to spread, we're we're fucked, right? Uh, well, there's a lot of things. Well, 
that would be a contributing factor. Right. One of the main reasons, that the, one of the main things that we're afraid of in climate change is water is a non-renewable resource. I don't know if many oh, people know yeah. that. And so when it becomes contaminated with stuff humans can't drink and that we're not good at filtering out, then yeah, that's going to kill us <laughs> if we can't yeah. drink it. Right. So that's why. Because so, the water's on a cycle, my dude. Yeah. Exactly. And when we drink it, we like break it down and use it in yeah. different methods or whatever. But actually, you're the you're the body expert. I'm not as sure. On that you stuff. need water yeah. to survive, <laughs> yeah. guys. Breaking news. Yeah. And <laughs> I just love how. Mr. McScience and I are giving you all these science facts, and poor Medusa's over here in the corner, just like, "What? Huh? Oh my God! This <laughs> We're is going so to bad. die now." <laughs> yeah. But that's so the reality bad. of it. Yeah. So, you've done a lot with the park, and a lot of really incredible science. It's definitely informing how things are right now. On more of a, not saying this isn't fun, but on a more fun level, what kind of things happen in the park that weren't necessarily science related that you remember? Or any, do you have any fond memories of like some bizarre experience of where you like tripped in a lake and were like, oh, whoa. Okay, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite experiences was um, I had a friend or a coworker there. I'll call him Alaska because he's from Alaska and everyone called him Alaska anyway. There we go. Right. Um, and he was an interesting individual, but he was very rugged, but very lovable and like loving and like cuddly. So he, I had no idea the extent of his like crazy, not craziness, but. So he I, was a large, soft boy, would you say? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I guess we had like an end of, end of the year, like party up at, um, I lived in these cabins, like basically in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> With no internet. How did you live? Did you do things like read or I did. do productive hobbies? What? I tried to rope you into stuff and you're like, I don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> I have yeah. to go to the laundry room to get Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. And that was so weird and specific. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually like kind of taught myself how to play guitar. It was fun. And it was kind of uh, relieving. But we had an end of party at my cabin up there or an end of your party at my cabin up there. And, you know, we all had some drinks. This guy was smashing back the drinks. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, As we, scientists <laughs> usually do, to be totally yes, honest. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Wait, yeah. Wait, that's a thing? That's oh, so cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. We work hard and play hard. I hate that phrase, but it's the truth. It is true. And uh, I love that so much. Like, we do hardcore science, and we're like, you know what time it is? It's time to forget about what we just did. It's time. He was smashing tall boys of straight liquor. I think oh. I think people in every field they do that, but then they try to think Actually, that people in the other fields don't. Yeah. Do you think that we are like so nerdy and so scientific that we don't partake in typical hobbies? Well, like <laughs> people in the literature realm, they do that too. They like they write about it though. They're like mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. Every they torture write about poet their horrible author. drug fits. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So this guy was just completely smashed. Yes, and so I we we um or we were at like a local I guess bar right beside my place, and we went back to my place. I like let him play my PlayStation because I'm still a video game nerd. PlayStation and one or two? Four. Four. Oh, that's <laughs> oh. Very I'm sorry. Okay, never mind. I just wanted yes. to like gauge the. He time wasn't friends. playing Drakengard, guys. No. And one of my bosses was like, I'm tired of you playing video games. And she yanked the plug out of the wall. And this, I guess, infuriated him. Are so, you serious? That's like a soap opera move. That's a cardinal yeah. sin. Yeah. Like, that's if like, you did that when I was growing up, you'd be like, you know what, mom? Fuck you. We're done. <laughs> that's not a thing that people do in real life. That's like a sitcom yeah. joke. No, it yeah. happens. It actually happens, though. Apparently. It's horrible. Yeah. So she did this, and then... And I guess he was infuriated, so he stands up. He looks her dead in the eyes. He strips naked. <laughs> Excuse me? As he one looks, would, yeah, clearly. Uh-huh. <laughs> he looks her dead in the eyes, and he screams, This is me! This is me right now! So, <laughs> I think if you have to make a point, if you can make it naked, please just do. Yeah. Because there's no stronger way to make your... Make your point now. Yep. It's just my flesh and me. 
and these are my feelings, and this is what I got for you. This yep. is the most raw that someone could possibly be. So what yep. What did this naked co-worker do after that? <laughs> did you well, just, like, balls out, keep proclaiming who he both is? Both literally and, and figuratively. My both. reaction was, I guess, I hugged him, and I said, naked? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had also had some. We're going to get a high Thanks. five on camera. <laughs> Microphone. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so you hugged him naked as one would yeah. yes okay because i wanted to know that i accepted him for who he was accepted him in the flesh yes this is me he says yeah exactly and this is my junk what was her reaction though she just kind of like oh sorry yeah this is a podcast i can't i just made a facial expression. she was slack jawed yes. <laughs> fair um, enough but then i guess we decided to walk to well he he Reclothed. Okay, I was gonna ask. That was my next question. Was <laughs> so he wait, still naked? But she wasn't like, okay, video games are fine now. Oh <laughs> uh, no! I no. saw you bend over. I'm ready to go. No, I, I guess not many people played video games there because I guess like it was a very small town in the middle of nowhere. And what else would you it's do? It's such a oh, common hobby, drunk. though. Well, okay, that's a given. Like especially in the Midwest, it's a given when yes. you have nothing else to do. To I think getting drunk is literally Fish. everyone's hobby, except if they don't drink. But if you're in the Midwest, where you literally do not live in a city that has anything other than bars, like all you do is drink because yeah. you have nothing else to do. Like I've drink, drinked. Especially in the winter, I I've heard I wasn't there in the winter, but I've heard what there is to do in the winter and. International Falls is ice fish and drink in a shack. So, <laughs> why do you think there are so many? Those aren't mutually exclusive. Right? Why do you think there are so many Midwesterners? Because we get drunk, and then when we get drunk, we repopulate. Actually, so that's why. yes, that was the other thing I was told: is get drunk and well, oh, wait, you can, can you could say it. you could say it. Get drunk and fuck is what I was told. They do. Have you not caught us both saying fuck? Actually, yes. I don't like know why I stuttered times. there. So that's one bizarre story that I would not think that someone worked for the National Park Service would do is, yeah. you know, get drunk, <laughs> stand naked, and then proclaim, this is me. What other... About w- video games, no less. About video games, too. But what yes. other strange, bizarre stories might you have about your interesting time working here? <laughs> All right. Um, actually, can I just tell you about an interesting person I met? Yes, you sure. can. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This guy was my other co-worker and he quit like halfway through or he found a job in guam halfway through in guam that's like really specific and also good he was studying snakes oh oh that's awesome yeah it was awesome that he was studying this and he seemed like you don't like like snakes i'm like the are you like indiana Indiana jones Jones. right snakes why did it have to be snakes that's me on a (laughs) daily basis so that's why snakes are so adorable i call them snacks as many (laughs) many meme lords do that doesn't make them any cuter i disagree well you put a hat on them and they're just like (laughs) slithering around Mm -hmm. adorable oh but this guy he was like a he was really like a really cool guy to talk to really cool guy to hang out with and it just like Things just started, like, I guess, I I talked to, like, someone else about this in the park service, and, like, a lot of people you'll meet, because a lot of people are seasonals, and, like, you don't know what you're going to get, and a lot of people seem very normal at first, and then, like, slowly throughout the season, just, like, you learn about, like, the grossest details about these people when you're in the middle of nowhere. Go on. And He wasn't a furry, was he? No, he wasn't mm. a furry. Actually, I made this sound way worse than it is, but... No, I'm expecting something horrifying now, no, so I you better up. at least make something Also, up. if we have any furry listeners, I'm not giving you shade. Well, he, like, started... I love you. One day, he just, like, dressed up as, like, a panda bear. Excuse me? <laughs> so... No. Oh, I was like... <laughs> no. Medusa wasn't off. She I'm, was totally I'm, on point. I'm kidding, but, um... This isn't really that bad. It just makes me angry. He just started, like, all of a sudden, like, saying the most sexist thing as I've ever heard. What? He'd be like, oh, that was written by a woman. In a and science it, field, though? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I guess, like, I just I mean, figured bad, they should but... know better, but whenever I think about it, that that's that may not be the case. I mean, it probably varies by field, but... Oh, maybe, yeah. I mean saying that the scientific field is completely absent of sexism is very oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's i not guess a, i just yeah. always assume that the people that are like gross horrible sexists are the pseudo intellectuals but like oh no this guy no 
this guy was brilliant. And he would ask me things. He'd be like, oh, so no. like, when did you realize you were smarter than your parents or whatever? And I'd be like, well, that's a weird question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not who, really going to answer. Who it. just like, who brings that up? I don't know. It's like, I mean, I don't really think about that. And <laughs> I'm not going to judge my parents for when they were raised. But, and he would like, I remember him telling me this like long story about how he went to this like dirt bike festival in Miami and he like what? ended up. I don't know. I d- that's a lot to unpack in the first place, but <laughs> and he just like he like became friends with all the dirt bike racers, I guess. <laughs> and he just he like went. I cannot. I'm sorry. <laughs> just hold it in. He just like went back with them to like some club, and he was just like he was. I'm going to quote here, and he was just like, and all the dumb like. All the dumb bitches Ugh. just we all were like running a train on him and stuff. And I was like, What are you telling me right now? <laughs> like, I don't want to hear this. I'm not I'm just, he was like saying it like he was telling it to me like I was just one of the guys. I'm picturing you there and like just your incredulity is so much because that you're not at all like this. You've never been. Yeah. You've actually been like kind of more woke than I was yeah. <laughs> during a point. Eh, um, but so he, I've had a lot of growth, everybody. Oh, I have too. As we all have. As we all have. But that's so unsettling. Yeah. Ugh. And this is like, we're like canoeing through like the middle of nowhere. And he You're just like stuck? Saying Excuse this me? Like, you were in a boat? Yeah. You were we stuck were in a canoe with him. And he's just like spouting this shit. And I'm like, uh-huh. No. I think, yeah. it, I think at that point I'd be like, well, okay, here's the How other oar. I'm going like to go. And I'm just <laughs> jump in the lake and peace <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. Well, uh, bye. Then you get eaten by wolves. <laughs> no. No. And also That's the, a better the than spiny that. fleas. Well, yes, they devour you. They're like leeches. Like that uh, a series of unfortunate events. Have you guys? I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's like those leeches that just like spoilers. Whatever. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can cut that out. No. (laughs) But um, (laughs) the actually speaking about wolves, one of my favorite experiences from that was there's a wolf crew that also a wolf crew. Excuse me. Yes, actually, I loved the research that they were doing. But like a lot of the stuff, there was like an intern there that worked eighty hours a week and was not paid. What? Yeah, That's eighty hours. In other words, his yeah, his parents had to be rich. But anyway, well, yeah, obviously, um, holy shit. The so they did these wolf house studies where they would go out and they would just they would howl at the moon, and wolves would howl back at them, and they would on like GPS pinpoint where they heard the howls track it down and go later in the day and find like a wolf camp and like study the area and, and I got science to, are you telling me that they they vocally howled or did they have like they vocally howled they taught they me didn't how to have an mp3 howl. no Jesus fucking Christ I did it with them and it was awesome it was so freeing it's like you just go out there and they're like all right well I'm gonna show you how to howl and they just like this every one, furry's dream yeah all right well <laughs> but this one girl just like ran off into the bushes and you just hear like her howling like uh, like sounded like a wolf and you're like this holy shit sounds and like then, the jungle book or like yeah. where the wild things are you're just like oh. that must feel so good does it it did but what feels better is when they respond. <laughs> so you howl. What? Yeah, and then all of a sudden you hear, hear an entire pack like howling back. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh my god. Yeah. And that's what I people do imagine. for a living. That's some so some cool. people do that for a living. How do you but, get that job? That sounds so fun. You have to go to monster.com and type in <laughs> professional wolf howler and then it pops up. I think there's like literally 3. The salary is like $80,000, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But there's only 3 jobs, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like wait till the other guys die or retire basically because who wants to quit that job right yeah well they so, yeah so what happened to this guy do you still mm. oh, no, that's a dumb question what happened to this guy i mean is he still working for it or how did you respond to that and what was the fallout from that hopefully there was oh. something that came from it because that's how did i respond to the sorry going back to the guy that was yeah oh yeah uh well he left for guam as i said in the middle he like quit and left for guam and i which sounds like an ideal situation yeah so he's just uh, he's probably still in guam right now like (laughs) just like 
being an asshole, chilling on the beach, but I told... <laughs> if you have to be in the U.S. of A., Guam is probably the best. Yeah. This is true. I, you know, they have like a, they have a mechanism where you can tell your supervisor if anything like bothers you. So like I, I like told my, I had like a supervisor there, but he was only there like once a month. Mm. And then my bosses were these, actually these two like kick ass, like uh, women in the field. And it's always awesome to see um, like a uh, kick ass biologists that are women in the wildlife division, because there's mm. actually, like I was saying, like with that guy, there's still a, some sexism in the field. But um, I told them about it, and they were like, you need to go to your supervi- our supervisor about this. And so I went, and I like told him, and he's going to get a shitty recommendation from us. So that's what I did. Good that's enough. all I could do. So you've talked a lot about your experience in the Park Service. I think one thing that's really important is talking about how the Park Service is funded and what exactly the service itself does for the public. I mean... What's the purpose of it? What's your mission statement? One of the most important things I think about the National Park Service is that we provide very unbiased research that the public can uh, sift through and know that it is not funded by dirty money. So when when you say unbiased, I think this is a term that a lot of people have different thoughts on. When it comes to unbiased research, what does that mean? It means that there's absolutely no political sway on what the research is saying, and that it's just data and mm. just facts. There are no such thing as alternative facts. Mm. It is just <laughs> presented in a way that can be easily digested by a public without looking at it and being like, well, that's not how I think, like, that's not what I want to happen. Well, it's still just happening, and you to, to change... Um, for instance, like climate, like climate change and increasing temperatures, we actually have to put forth an effort instead of just ignoring it. Right. right. And I can tell you it's unbiased because it's one of the most criminally underfunded um, sects of the government. Oh, I didn't and, even think about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think the m- most funded areas of the government are? I mean, well, at this time, it's a little different, but oh, typically it's, yeah. you know... National defense funding and right. uh, things like that. It's not even the minimum, you know, even keeping up the infrastructure of our cities aren't even really a big concern. So if you think about that's a less of a concern, think about where the park service is at. Right. So there's no money from oil companies. There's no money from even solar companies. There's no money from those big giant oligarchies that are funding this research. It's just um, basically straight willpower at this point from my experience working with the NPS for the national park system. So they're trustworthy. It's, it's like, it's people like your, they're scientists trying their best. Exactly. And they're not, um, they're not altering the facts so that climate change is real. Nobody wants that to be real. Nobody wants like, like the fact that our water, or that our water sources might be yeah come to think of it what would the agenda of saying that's real be exactly i think some of what that is is that a lot of the people that are skeptical of climate change they're the ones that have interests in companies that might be directly Mm. affected by climate change policies so some of the big oil companies some of the big natural gas companies the people that really you know, produce these things that are really affecting our planet and contributing to climate change. They're the ones that are really concerned about this and they might even be denying it because of that, because it's directly affecting their company and their revenue. Absolutely. And so there is an innate distrust of, of, uh, companies. And a lot of people assume, well, there's giant oil, oil companies. They're is probably giant like um, solar companies or uh, wind companies that are funding this research to make us say that climate change is happening so that the oil companies lose that money. Even though that's like very much a niche? Yes, exactly. But people are convinced of that. That's something a lot of people believe. Like, it's horrifying. Yikes. (laughs) The thing that I cling to as a scientist is that our work is... For the most part, I'm biased. There have been biased research studies, but we're not driven by policy and politics. We're driven by an innate desire to really 
find the truth of whatever topic we're looking at and good or bad. I mean, I've especially in both of your fields that like, mm-hmm. there's really no reason to lean a certain way politically. Yeah. Like why would we publish, you know, a manuscript about something that's a deterrent to the environment or to the right. health of everyone? Like, why would we want to do that? Because it's, it's bad in the first place seeing that the environment's actually being affected or the humans are you know being affected in a certain way what why would we do that we have mm-hmm. no political gain no monetary gain in this we're doing it for the sole purpose of science and it being pure and true absolutely not to mention that um going against the facts will actually hurt us as a people yeah yeah we could die yes we could I don't think can is even a word. I think we are going to if we're going on this path. And I think that right now we're going towards that point where in the future, if we keep doing this, we're all going to (laughs) die. I mean, the sun's not going to burn out before this happens. We're going to probably die before the sun burns out because of what we're doing to this planet. Yeah. We may race the heat death of the universe. So. I guess if that gives you some comfort, then go for it, buddy. Yeah. I'd like to put like a little, I guess, side note on this is like that guy I was complaining about, he did say something. This is why it was very odd that he ended up being the way he was, but he told me a story about himself from, he worked in where, uh, he worked in Key West for mm-hmm. a while or in the Keys. And he said, biologists down there have such low morale because mm-hmm. they assume, they feel as though the the way he described it was he was rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because yeah. there's nothing they can do to save that portion of the world right now. But as a, as a society, as humanity, we have to push forward and start working towards saving the areas that we can save instead of just being like, oh, well, I guess that part's gone, so we don't have to worry about that. It's not going to happen again. We have to change our ways or else it's going to continue to happen. Like think about how we have these wonders of the planet and one of them is the Great Barrier Reef and look at it now. It's being decimated and there's Mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it, but it's such a big tourist destination and an area of research. Now we're not going to be able to do it and now people are just like, you know what? That, That sucks. We can't swim with some coral and see some really great wildlife it's just really it's about like more than that it's not just for our consumption it's the space we live in when it comes down to it yeah coral bleaching is a symptom not the disease right (laughs) it's but uh there are things that we can do uh even as just individuals to like further to lessen our impact on uh, on this happening um, or on climate change happening and just environments, you know, being destroyed and all that. And it's like, or one of them that's actually relatively easy is, uh, you know, just like recycling, actually. Or I would just like, I just want to talk just a little bit about this. Like a lot of people say, oh yeah, recycling is a good idea, but they don't end up going through with it right. for some reason. And mm-hmm. um, even myself, I just recently started recycling this year. Even being a conservation biologist, I know it's stupid, but, um, and all I had to do was I looked up, where's my closest recycling bin that right, I can put right. stuff in? And you just keep a bin and you throw it in the recycling bin. It's that easy. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. It seems like it's more effort than it actually is. Yeah. So if there's one takeaway from today, it's try to recycle, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think, well, there's a lot of other things to oh do yeah. as well. But. So I think we've touched on a topic that is quite relevant to even just the general public and our listeners, and that's that's climate change in itself. And I think this could be a great opportunity to both educate people and really promote advocacy of awareness of climate change and, and what it is. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions with climate change and what people think. I mean, I think the biggest one that I hear constantly is at least promoted by some certain people. And it's the fact that if, you know, there's a blizzard today and, you know, tomorrow there's just sunshine, that's not climate change. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. That's weather. Weather is a very different thing than climate. You know, weather is a day-to-day change, whereas climate is, you know, 
observations over a large period of time. It's, it's really a reductive thing. Exactly. And a lot of people don't get that. So if you hear someone that's really promoting that climate change is horrible, you want to make sure that they're talking about climate change and climate itself and not weather or whatever that is. And There are people that get hung up on the term global warming. So they assume that if the temperature goes a little bit lower, that everybody's just full of shit. Yeah, but it, when it comes down to it, we do have a trend that is trending upward, and that's our temperature. Absolutely. That's the beauty of science and research is that you can take that data and um, kind of take away just the human observation of like, oh, well, it's cold today. Climate change might not be happening. And so, like, you take away that, like, innate, like, or, like, that's almost like a, just like an instinct to be like, well, it's cold today. But if you take data each day and notice that temperatures are rising, you can eliminate the, I guess, that instinct to just try and go back to, but a lot of people will. People try to place it in a partisan place when really Mm -hmm. we all live here is the problem. Yeah. This is our habitat. This is our environment and not being concerned about it is going to have some. I'm not sure how it got spun to have an agenda either. This is just like a thing that we're going I mean, to I, have I to am, actually. I know why. And it's something we already talked about. It's the special interest groups that have oh, a bit in this, yikes. the people that are directly profiting from, I, yeah. I almost said disaster, but it is, I mean, it's a disaster yeah. and being so against it a is only going to have disaster. Exactly. I think, one thing that really upsets me is that a lot of the people that are so against climate change now are like, well, it's not going to affect me. It's not, but it's going to affect your children or your children's children or whomever. I mean, it's not going to affect you particularly now, but it's going to hit you and it's, it's affecting people now. I mean, there's, there's an Island in the Caribbean, I think that just had to evacuate because the sea levels got so high that they couldn't even live on their own Island anymore. So they're evacuated that's like a direct effect of climate change. And it very well could affect us in our lifetimes. I like to use an analogy of kind of like a bathtub where imagine, um, like I guess the seas are just a bathtub where you're slowly raising the sea level. Eventually you're going to reach that top and it will overflow. And a lot of scientists believe that once it hits that overflow point that it's going to rapidly increase sea level. From Yeah. Um, and that is a problem that could even happen in our lifetime. So we have to. Yeah, I mean, when I say lifetime, I mean the people that are typically older and okay. are not concerned about it. I mean, I'm increasingly concerned about it because I know it's going to affect us, especially no. as millennials. We're seeing right. it directly. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about climate change itself. And people talk about global warming. Well, global warming is a natural process of the earth. I mean, you need global warming to happen, but when it becomes such an extreme, that's when it starts to affect the planet. I mean, one thing that people talk about is the greenhouse effect, which is basically just how the sunlight gives off radiation and that radiation will come through our atmosphere. And, you know, the atmosphere is made up of water molecules, things like that. And then once it goes through those water molecules, it hits the earth and it can either be reflected or bounced off against the air and whatever. And to keep our planet warm, unlike a normal temperature, you need the greenhouse effect because it, the sunlight will bounce off of this layer of air and hit the earth and keep doing that to give constant temperature. But when we're producing too much greenhouse gases, that's when we either erode the atmosphere or we're contributing so much that the sunlight gets trapped and that's when the earth gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So that's when people say that CO2 is a good thing. And you're like, well, it is in moderation. You need it. But when it's over populated and there's so much of it, it's horrible. And so I think when I hear people that talk about how CO2 is not affecting the planet and not affecting climate change or how other greenhouse gases are affecting it and how humans are contributing to this, it makes me so angry because they're ignoring the data. They're ignoring right. the pure science. Absolutely. They're ignoring the unbiased research that we've been doing. And it's such a slap to the face to scientists that have been dedicating their lives to this. And for people to say that your work's not valid, I don't believe it. I don't think that's a contributing factor. When 97% of scientists agree that climate change is real and humans are contributing to it. What are those like 3% though? Or are they just like contrarians? Money. Or- 
money oh, yeah. scientists that are absolutely so they working. may not even be there it's just that they were convinced absolutely to, right um yeah you know that's Yikes. like a statistic that's similar to like oh gravity's a thing <laughs> you know so is climate change but our oh i guess the, they're both theories right well isn't gravity a law it's a so, law law but yeah. but still it's like a similar like a. Uh, it's a similar agreement amongst the scientific community that that thing exists. So mm-hmm. it'd be like our government telling us basically gravity doesn't exist. It's so to be clear, a law and a theory are actually not very far apart. A law is a theory that has just more uh, scientific evidence behind it to have further proof that it is. Correct. So a law is a theory that grew up a little bit. Yes, basically. It's the next level, right? right? And the best part about science is that for it to be science, you have to be able to disprove it. Yeah. Like You can never theoretically 100% approve a law or a theory. It mm-hmm. has to be able to be disproven. So you can mm-hmm. disprove the law of gravity. Like That's not set in stone. But based on our observations and our research, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that... Yeah. Right. So I'm just asking this because a lot of people do get hung up on those terms and try to say that like it's not not really a thing, but when it comes down to it, it is overwhelmingly a thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And science isn't in a vacuum. I mean, we, as scientists, we talk to each other. We talk to each other in different countries. And the best part about science is that there's a thing called the SI units, which are a universal code of scientists. I mean, the metric system, that's another thing. Like we try to adhere to that. I mean, Americans don't do it as well, but the (laughs) SI system is a way for every scientist on earth to understand what we're talking about. And we do that because we're all such a community and we are all working together for the same cause. And for us to say we're not working together is just complete lunacy. We're all working together for the planet, for humans and for just the life around us and it's just so upsetting to hear people try to rebuke that non-scientists also <laughs> non-scientists oh, also yeah right. for sure politicians which also baffles me that i feel like well, this should just be a dumb moment but people that are in charge of scientific bodies they should be scientists they should right. have this experience and understand what's going on rather than just being a lawyer or like a CEO of a company, why would that be? Why would you be in charge of this organization that works for the environment or whomever? Like, I don't understand. Money talks, I guess. Absolutely. Money talks. It does. So I think that's a good point to end on. Um, Again, thank you so much for coming in today. I have learned a lot as a scientist, Medusa. I've learned a lot as a lay person. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I hope it wasn't too much doom and gloom. <laughs> it was enough to get people scared and motivated, which is good. This is something that we have to deal with or else the future generations are not going to be able to live. And it's not really going to be like a cool Mad Max situation. It's just going to be a dead situation. True. Do you have any last parting thoughts about what we can do as humans to you know, better our planet and to really work against this effect? Yeah, absolutely. All we have to do is, maybe if you see, like, some trash while you're walking along, maybe to the store or something, just pick it up and just start seeing things around your environment that you can maybe help. Maybe if you see, try and find groups like uh, Adopt-A-Stream, which I work for, which is, uh, they monitor stream health in, like, specific local areas. And if you can find these volunteer groups, uh, just join them and start working towards gathering data as a citizen. Um, Citizen science is a growing field in conservation where you as a non, like you don't have to have studied any science at any point in your life and you can just go out and have someone that has been trained to monitor stream health or something like that lead you in expeditions to learn about your local environment and how healthy it is and you can help clean it up and organize cleanups and we can fight this it's not one thing i would like to end with is that i really hate apocalyptic headlines saying that 
we're all going to die, global warming's happening, because it makes people feel like, oh, you can't do anything to stop this, so I don't have to change my ways. Right. We can still change our humanity as a whole to fight climate change. This is a very odd, almost war against <laughs> progress in a way. Not really progress, yeah. but yeah. like... <laughs> no, you're right. No, you're right, there's the thing. But, uh, and we can all stand up and work together to have a beautiful earth to live on in the future. Yeah. yeah. I really believe that. Because when it comes why. down to it, we all live here. Exactly. And that's why I'm in this field, is because I believe in us. And I believe in humanity. And we can do it. This is a very good point. And that's a great thing to end on. All right. And so I'm your host, Groot. I'm your co-host, Medusa. And I'm Mr. McScience, and you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs>